Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. Our goal is to provide you with a way to listen to real conversations on work by real SLPs. We are full-time SLPs in the trenches, and these are honest conversations. We hope these conversations are helpful, fun, and make your work and home life more manageable. Up this episode, are your clients really ready for the treatment you have to give, and how do you know? Plus, a self-care challenge that has to do with client readiness. I'm Sarah, and with me is Sari. I'm an SLP of more than 10 years. Some days I feel like I've done it all, and some days I feel like I'm just getting started. Sari and I are both SLPs who love to talk about ways to make your work life, and even your out-of-work life, healthier, more content, and calmer. And I'm Sari, a nearly there SLP just finishing up my clinical fellowship year in the trenches. I hope our listeners will find my experiences relatable, helpful, and possibly even a little entertaining as I talk about the challenges, adventures, and sometimes misadventures that I've faced this first year. All right, so Sarah, we are starting with a discussion that has started on social media by some of our listeners, and it's this question. Would you work weekends to catch up or work ahead for your work week? Mm-hmm. And um, I do. I spend about an hour on Sunday, and I think it's important to know, you know, I'm my own boss. So would I do this if I had another boss and I had to do it to keep up with workload? Probably not. So I do it just so I feel prepared for Monday, which right now is my busiest day of the week. So, Sari, do you work on the weekends? Oh my goodness, yes. And it's probably not a good time for me to be talking about it because this whole week I've stayed late to work and I feel a little grumpy about it. But I do it like you to ease my mind and have everything ready to go for my work week so that it's smooth and efficient. But I still never seem to get ahead. So... Anyway, today I feel just a little bit exhausted from it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I have gotten better than I was at the start of the year when I had no materials in the beginning and had to make a ton from scratch. So that was a lot of my evenings and weekends. But now that I have some supplies and routines in place going with my kiddos, um, I usually only spend a small part of Sunday prepping as far as the weekend goes. And it's just prep work for materials and completing my lesson plans So I'd say now I'm down to an average of about one to two hours per weekend, depending on what I have coming up. Um, But in the beginning, I honestly was spending my entire weekends working. Um, But after spring break, uh, now too, I've been staying late again for about at least an hour each day. And uh, that's just kind of what I have to do to get through and feel at ease, but it's still better than what I was doing in the fall. Mm -hmm. Yes. And for reference, we did a poll and 80% of respondents said, yes, they would work on weekends if it was a short amount of time, an hour or two or less, and if it allowed them to feel more prepared for that work week ahead. It's interesting to me that such a large percentage said yes. I'd also be interested to know on average how much time our listeners spend working on their weekends. I'd say it depends on the time of year for me because I've realized that the fall I was staying late a lot and now that the spring has come, it seems like it's just gotten crazy again. Um, And I'm wondering, is that because it's my first year, guys? 
uh, and girls? <laughs> Will it always be like this in the schools? How much time on average do you work off the clock? Mm-hmm. Now, spring is super hard in the schools always. There's lots of IP dates and transitions from the early childhood special education. And fall can be hard too, depending on if you have a lot of kids moving into the district. But right. oh boy, summer feels wonderful after that <laughs> tough spring. I can't wait for the summer. I am sorry to all you non-school SLPs, but summer off is absolutely the light at the end of the tunnel right now, and I plan to savor every minute of that time off. And speaking of time, this is a really terrible, and yet somehow it works, transition into our next segment. It's time for What's Up and What's Down, Sarah, and I think that you are up for What's Down to start this time. Okay, for me, uh, we've talked, I think on the last episode or the one before, about how I like to put off appointments and find mm-hmm. excuses to mm-hmm. do that. So right now, the, I'm if I have spare time, I'm doing fun work, mainly podcast work. So I like blogging and designing graphics and everything associated with the podcast right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with the podcast right now, but I have other things in my life, like phone calls and appointments and errands that are way, way less fun. And I'm just not doing them. So they're going to start to really stack up. I know. It's no fun coming home after work to do home work. Mm -hmm. We just want to relax. Yes. And I think I need to pay attention and maybe try alternating between fun tasks and like my, you know, my preferred and my less preferred, Mm -hmm. either that or, you know, take an afternoon and evening to just play home catch up. So... Let's bring us up, Sari. So any work or home or general life stuff that's you're up, what's going well for you lately? Okay, so my what's up this week is wine and paint classes. Uh, this is definitely a trend right now, and it may actually even be a dying trend, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the story of my life. I'm kind of a late bloomer, but I love these. If you haven't heard of wine and paint nights, they're events that involve both things, wine and paint. Sounds amazing. They're great. You learn to paint a beautiful picture with friends or family while you're sipping on a beverage of your choice. It doesn't need to be wine. And it's so much fun. I just recently went to a wine and paint night after work with the women in my family. And we had a blast. And I am not a good painter. Let me tell you, the hardest class I ever took was Art 2D in undergrad. And I remember staying up late until like two in the morning, just falling over my compositions because I could not get the paint to do what I wanted it to do. But with the wine and paint nights, it's different. They really break it down for you. And while truthfully, I've yet to hang up one of my paintings, I have so much fun making them. And that's what that's what really matters, right? Absolutely. Yes. And yes, first of all, can we do a wine and paint night? Because it sounds so fun. Absolutely. And when we do, we'll post uh, pics for our listeners to Uh, see on our Instagram. I don't know. Uh, uh, Oh my goodness. So no one would want my paintings or even to look at my paintings. Um, In middle school, I think I had straight A's except for two classes. It was shop class and <laughs> art class. So those were my B, B minuses, which was really low for me and it stressed me out. Um, and it actually made me feel like I'm not creative because I didn't do well in art class. And it's only in the past year or so that I've been like, wait a minute, I am creative. I just don't paint or build things. Mm-hmm. I love to write, design graphics, create this podcast. 
write blog posts, and I even like coming up with ideas for social media or ideas for things to talk about. So I think I tended to sell myself short and have a really narrow version of what being artsy or creative meant because I had this bad experience in art class. (laughs) So we've talked about this a little bit before, and I actually love working crafts into my speech sessions, but I don't think that means I'm creative. I think I pretty much steal a lot of my ideas from Pinterest and Instagram. So thanks to all you SLPs who share your craft lessons. I love them and I do use them. Uh, They may not turn out as cute as yours do, but we sure have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I have a rule not to look at that stuff because it makes me feel like a terrible SLP. So whatever works for you. (laughs) Um, And now we have a listener question and it's a good one. And it's, um, what do you say when people ask you what you do for a living, like at a party or something and you need to, you know, give off a quick answer? Okay, so I have something ingrained in me that I cannot not answer a direct question with a direct answer. So when I've gotten a question like that, I have to answer it, even if I don't want to talk about my work right there. So when people ask me, I tell them that I'm an SLP, and I've gotten two responses so far, either A, They won't know what a speech-language pathologist is and promptly change the topic. Or B, they'll know exactly what that is and ask me to diagnose someone that they know. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I think that, again, we're constantly educating people on what we do as SLPs. So, yes, to advocate for our profession, we should directly answer the question. However, if you're at a party and you just want to, you know, enjoy your room temperature cheese and wine, then you do you and you can answer however you like. So I don't mind answering, but it's people's reactions that get me. When I answer a question about what I do for a living, people usually try to change the subject. Hmm. And, you know, people don't really know what we do. And that, I think, makes them feel uncomfortable. So The hardest part for me is when I did full-time telepractice, so don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved it, but explaining that to people, I could just see the gears of their brain turning and turning, (laughs) and then they'd quickly like change the subject, because uh, they just didn't have a context for it. Mm -hmm. So it's gotten a bit easier for me now, so just to simplify it, I say I own a speech therapy clinic, and I'm a speech-language pathologist, so people can, you know, in general, understand Mm -hmm. what a service-based business is, so that helps and makes answering that question easier. I don't even try to explain the teletherapy and travel work I do because people just get confused and uncomfortable. What's the weirdest response you've gotten when you've said you were a speech-language pathologist? (laughs) That's a good question. So someone told me they thought their husband had autism and did I think that he had autism and he was standing right there oh no awkward and I don't really diagnose autism and I I can't really figure that out from having a quiet dude stand next to a loud and maybe slightly socially inappropriate partner asking if you can diagnose the person standing right next to her with autism at a party oh no that would be so uncomfortable it was it was an experience so Any awkward situations for you, Sari? Okay, so the weirdest question I got asked is if I put marbles in people's mouths, like the guy in the King's speech. 
And if you haven't seen it, I guess there's an early part where a speech therapist that the king is seeing puts marbles in the king's mouth. And on a side note, Rex Harrison actually also does it to Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. I love that movie. So, like, anyway, myth busted. No, no (laughs) modern speech therapist puts marbles or pebbles in people's mouths. It's not evidence-based practice, and I'd hate to see the speech therapist that proposed the idea to the Institutional Review Board. <laughs> yeah, first of all, mad props from My Fair Lady, because I'm obsessed with anything Audrey Hepburn. Oh, me too. And once you've all got time for summer reading, you should read about Audrey Hepburn's life, because it's absolutely fascinating. So as far as the marbles, that sounds like a choking hazard and a swallowing hazard. So maybe that's how SLPs became swallowing specialists, <laughs> because people started swallowing their rocks in their mouth, right? <laughs> I think it, it, I mean, I think she, Audrey Hepburn swallows one mm-hmm. in the in mm-hmm. the movie. And I think so. It's, no, why would you ever do that? You know what, um, random fact, uh, there actually was a Greek orator, um, Demosthenes, I looked this up once, and he, it, it is said that he treated his own speech impediment by talking with pebbles in his mouth and shouting above the roar of the ocean waves. Do not try this at home. No. Bottom line. No. Don't try it with yourself or anyone else. And, you know, for all the talk of marbles and pebbles and Audrey Hepburn, the bottom line is this. When you're at a party, let's ask better questions. Because maybe no one really wants to talk about work when they're trying to relax with their wine or beer or whatever. I know I don't, and you probably don't either. So... Honestly, when people have an office-type job, I often don't understand what they do either. So we aren't alone or unique in having job descriptions that might not make good party talk. And you know what? Heck, even if it does, I'm so much more than just a working person. That's not all I am. And I don't really want to talk about work at a party. So as far as those interesting questions, how about asking, like, what are you excited about right now? What are you working on? (laughs) What do you do in your free time? You could say, hey, I just Netflix binged on Gilmore Girls. What are you binging on? (laughs) Have you read anything good lately? Any question. I don't really care if it seems weird. Like, how do you take your coffee? Because I I could take five minutes to answer that question because I'm a coffee snob, honestly. So, yeah, I really could. Um, It's complicated. So just to share... A tidbit about yourself that someone else can riff off of, share something about yourself. I honestly prefer not to talk about myself in a new social situation at least too much, so I love it when someone starts telling me a story. And actually, the first time I met one of my husband's sisters, um, I was pretty nervous, and she immediately started telling me this interesting story that was pretty long, and she didn't ask anything, and it relaxed me because I was so nervous to meet the family and felt like I might be put on the spot, so I was so relieved she just started talking. Mm -hmm. So it was about the story. It wasn't about me. I could relax and not be put on the spot. I'm exactly the same way. And my husband is my secret weapon when I go to social events because he's just one of those people that can make a conversation about anything and it completely takes the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Okay. But enough about us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're ready to dig deep. So um, this is our topic of the day, which is client readiness stages. So this is called the trans theoretical model or the stages of change model. And it's based on 
more than 35 years of research in professions like mental health professions. And even doctors and primary care providers use these stages. And it's based on the academic research of Prochaska de Clementi in 1983, and then it was done again by Prochaska de Clemente and Norcross in 1992. So these are client readiness stages. So how do you tell if your client is ready for speech therapy or not? So the first stage is pre-contemplation. It's someone who's not ready to make a change and thinks, I'm doing just fine. So someone who's in the pre-contemplation stage, um, everything is fine. You might see this as a preschool client and the parent says, oh, everyone in my family was a late talker. We don't need speech therapy. Or he or she talks when she needs to. Um, or the client or caregiver or family doesn't see the purpose and what you're doing and doesn't connect it to ways it could help. So in the adult setting, this might look like clients saying, I'll be fine once I get home from the hospital or once I get home from the hospital, I'll figure it out. So the basics is the client is, you know, in denial. And from the client's perspective or the family's perspective, there isn't a problem to solve and therefore they don't need help. So Sari, have you seen examples of this so far in your career? Well, another example would be a patient who's experienced right hemisphere damage and now has visual neglect and anisognosia and thinks they can still drive a car. They're not ready to hear <laughs> that, uh, that reality that maybe they need to wait a little while or, or maybe not drive again mm-hmm. at, at this point because they're going to... Forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah, so that's tough. Uh, what can we do for these clients, Sarah? Honestly, it's a great question. And one is we can't force them or motivate them through guilt. It just doesn't work. We can't press the issue because no matter what we say, they they don't think it's an issue. They don't think there's a problem there. So they just won't follow up. So we provide resources and give them the space to come back. And we work on not burning our bridges. I think we've all shared news with families with a lot of gusto for families in the pre-contemplation stage. And I can see now why that would totally turn them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we've all probably burned some bridges with these families because it seems so clear to us that clients need help and they need it now. So Mm -hmm. like with toddlers, we know early intervention works and we want them to get help right away. For adults who are pretty close to post-injury, we know that that's an important window of time when they need therapy. Yes, and it's because we care. We want to educate families and a lot of what we learned in grad school is very either or type of thinking. Mm -hmm. They get early treatment or they don't make progress. They get help soon post-injury or they don't make as much progress. Mm -hmm. What we don't learn in these stages of processing, which are so important, it seems like once we identify which stage our families and caregivers and clients are in, we would know how to specifically help them. Mm -hmm. And learning these stages really rocked my world, honestly, because finding families who just don't follow up is frustrating Mm -hmm. because as SLPs, we know that what we do works. So I think there are some circles in our profession where, you know, there's this blame the family mentality. Mm -hmm. But what if we approach it with curiosity and this curious analytical nature? So and figure out what stage they're in. So I feel like these stages help us do that. And I'm going to head straight into the next stage because the first two stages are fairly similar. And what we would do with, you know, clients in these stages is pretty similar. So the next stage is the contemplation 
um, stage is also called the getting ready stage. So let's summarize here because it's a bit different from pre-contemplation. So in the contemplation phase, families are ambivalent but open to hearing more about services. So these families are also likely to not end up pursuing the service we offer either, but they're willing to learn more and talk about it. So these are the families who don't follow up, but you think they're going to, right? Mm -hmm. They value your service and speech therapy and are interested in hearing more, but either don't follow through Mm -hmm. or come to speech therapy feeling ambivalent or stop coming altogether. Yes. The pre-contemplation and the contemplation stage are very similar. Mm -hmm. So with the contemplation stage in, for example, private practice or outpatient hospital service, um, the client might come in for an evaluation and then just fall off the map. So it might even come as a surprise because the client seemed to see the value in speech therapy. Or it might not come as a surprise because the client may have clearly been interested in speech therapy and hearing more, but just didn't seem that into it. So in the school setting, this could be a parent who isn't sure if they want to sign an evaluation consent and have testing done, or a family who doesn't come to scheduled meetings, but sees the value in speech therapy and wants their child to come as long as the process isn't too complicated and doesn't make too much work for them. The idea here is that if you are ambivalent You are willing to give it a try if it's not too much work for you. Because why would you put a bunch of time and effort into something you just aren't totally sure about? In the school setting, this could also be a middle school student or high school student who understands why they come, but maybe aren't trying their best or complain quite a bit about it. Or they know when speech therapy is, but you have to come and get them and walk them to the speech room because they are hoping that you'll forget their appointment. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, clients in the contemplation stage don't move with gusto towards speech therapy. So what can we do if clients are in the contemplation stage? Not much, but we can first talk to them about why to come to speech therapy and to connect that with that with their desired outcome. Second, remind them we're working together for speech therapy, and if they don't put in the work, nothing will change, and ultimately, you know, that wastes everyone's time. Um, And third, give the person choices and options whenever possible. So a client who doesn't wanna be there, um, and or they think the value of speech therapy doesn't outweigh the negative perception, they're gonna be critical of us, critical of their time spent on speech therapy, They are not going to complete the carryover activities, and then they won't make progress. So then they'll blame the SLP or they'll say speech therapy doesn't work. So we need to get really real with our clients, and we can help them make progress, but only they can do the work. Yes, so true. I talk straight with a lot of my older students in particular about how I am the coach and they are like the player in a game. And they need to do the practice, they need to do do the work and be invested. These stages are similar, so here's what they might look like in a school setting. In my setting, a family in this stage might come to a meeting to discuss doing an assessment for another disability, but decide they aren't ready to sign an assessment plan or have an assessment conducted. If the student is already receiving services, this might look like a family who doesn't consistently come to an IEP meeting or doesn't come to meetings at all. So to support them, we can give them lots of notice of when meetings are, 
offer to have the meeting via telephone if they don't want to come in, and send home information about how their child is doing so they have the option of finding out more info, even if we can't get them into the school building. We can also share good things happening in the speech room via emails or notes sent home to do some relationship building. We do this with care and concern, but without expectation. We want to make their lives easier as they process and give them information and space. We want to make their lives easier as they process. For ourselves as SLPs, we also want to not take it personally. And this is key. We often think if students, clients, families, caregivers aren't interested, it's something that we did. Now, we know it's a stage of readiness. We should identify it and make it about the client and family, not about us as an SLP. Totally. So to summarize, we really can't push clients during this stage, during the contemplation stage, because if they keep coming, they're going to do it with a bad attitude or a negative perception. So we're going to offer options and let our clients choose, because otherwise it's going to be really difficult for everyone involved if they come out of like guilt or feeling like mm-hmm. they should. So now for the next stage. So we are getting closer to our readiness goals, Larry. <laughs> um, it's the preparation stage. So this is starting to get really ready. So the next stage moving towards being ready for speech therapy is preparation. In the stage of preparation, um, clients are beginning to take steps towards change, try it out, but they'll experience various levels of success. So an example is, um, you know, someone may come to appointments and consistently fall off the map for a while. They may seem hot and cold, do their carryover activities for a while, or then not at all. And, you know, they may come to appointments and participate for a while and then fall off the map. So for these clients, it's all about giving them information, information, information. (laughs) So something like a brochure or handout they can read when they're ready to process, or sending out an email of resources they can look at later when they're ready and motivated to continue would be a great plan for someone in the preparation stage. And I did want to add that, you know, just talking to the client and being like, is this working for you? Is this a good time for you to come to speech therapy? And I used to think that I shouldn't make those sorts of direct conversations. But since I've started that, I've been really glad because people can say, you know what, I'm not ready yet. Right. These, these folks are just getting their footing as far as the readiness goes. They're about one step beyond the contemplation stage and they're kind of testing it out. So they may or may not be really ready for speech therapy. Agreed. And so this pre-contemplation, then contemplation and preparation after that stages are all just people gearing up to be ready for our service. That's it. So as an SLP, we're here to support them and give them choices. I think knowing that takes some pressure off us as the SLP because, you know, if they walk away, it's probably not anything we said or did, but they just need time to process. So we give them information and then in a way we cut them loose and ask them to let us know when they're ready. So again, this is done out of care and respect for our clients. We want to give them time and space to process 
And we do that because we care about them and because we Mm -hmm. are focusing on patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. So now onto what I think can be the most important stage. Um, So listen up. It's the stage we wish all of our clients were in, but they just aren't. And it's the action stage. So in the action stage, um, clients will ask questions. They'll have good attendance. Um, If there's a parent or caregiver, they will observe and participate in sessions and provide feedback. These are the ones that are going to do the carryover assignments and they they understand why they're there. They focus on the positives and what they can do and what they want to learn. A lot of times when clients are in the pre-contemplation or the contemplation or the preparation stage, we blame ourselves because we're, you know, perfectionistic, possibly SLPs. And we say, why did they stop coming? Why didn't they see the value in therapy? Why did they seem to criticize my activities? Why didn't they do their carryover? And you know that breakup line, Sarah? I don't know if anyone's ever used it on you where they say, it's not you, it's me. Oh, <laughs> I think I've used Are you- it. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, we're not friends anymore. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm joking. Okay. Well, that really does apply with the stages of readiness, right? It's not us. It's them. They're just not ready and that's okay. So let's try to accept that. We can do things to help clients along, but ultimately we need to recognize what the action stage is. And if our client isn't in that action phase, we need to think about what we're doing and that our role looks different. It's an information and time situation. It's Mm -hmm. not an action situation, right? So of course, the ideal situation is that 100% of our clients would be in the action stage, right? And ready for us. Mm -hmm. And it would make our job so much easier, but that's not the reality. (laughs) So do I try to offer options and give space to clients who aren't ready? Yes. And why it makes their lives easier. It makes it easier for us to have a good relationship and for them to actually come back when they're ready because, you know, I wasn't pressuring them. And it also makes my life easier because, you know what, a client or family that doesn't see the value of speech therapy or the value of your work um, is just more likely to have no shows, poor attitudes, poor carryover. And, you know, it's more likely you would get criticism from that client, Mm -hmm. which stems from the very fact that they just plain don't want to be there. And also, FYI, clients don't always know they don't want to be there. Sometimes they'll come off as aggressive or rude or highly critical. And you just need to ask yourself, you know, is this working for you? Do you ask them, do you want to take a break? And if you think they might be in the pre-contemplation or contemplation stage, they will eventually say yes and completely fall off the map, possibly, you know, until they're ready. And the last stage is maintenance. And this is what we hope for our clients. They're keeping up with their skills outside the therapeutic setting. Mm -hmm. And they may have regular check-ins or be discharged from speech therapy. And this is the final stage. Yes, this might be a patient who stutters and can maintain their skills. An articulation client who's graduated or an adult client who is using his or her strategies at home and has met their functional goals. So in other words, maintenance is a celebration. Mm-hmm. It's what wrapping up our time with clients would look like through these at the end of these stages. Mm-hmm. And this topic would beautifully translate into a self-care challenge. What have you got for us, Sarah? Yeah, your self-care challenge is twofold. Firstly, figure out which of your clients are in the action stage. 
actually write down their names. You should know who they are. And when you have spare energy and you want to create something for a client or reach out to a family, spend it on those clients. So whether clients are ready for you makes most of the difference in how treatment turns out. So I know we all tell ourselves it's all about us as clinicians and what therapeutic techniques we're using, and that is important. But again, what makes the most difference is spending time on clients who are going to make use of your therapy, and they'll show the most progress, and so it's good to put your energy there. And as perfectionists, some of us tend to put more time into clients' in those early stages, but too much time there can really seem pushy and actually turn families off. Mm. Um, And it's not only a waste of time, but it can hurt client relationships. But, you know, we want them to come. We want them to understand why speech therapy is important. We want them to get help now. But you know what? We can't control any of that. And pushing when clients aren't ready isn't the best thing to do. The best thing to do is offer service and give them space to take advantage of it when they're ready. So again, the first part of your self-care challenge is to identify who's in that action stage and spend some time there because it's where it'll be the most used. It'll also be good to reflect on who's not quite there yet and uh, recognize your techniques with them and whether or not you are being a little too aggressive or um, if you need to give them a little more space and processing time or how you can help get them to the action stage without overwhelming them. Mm -hmm. And that's part of um, the second piece of the self-care challenge, which is to identify your clients who are in the pre-contemplation or contemplation stage and, you know, have a courageous conversation Mm -hmm. with them. And by that, I mean, get really honest, give them options and, you know, time and space uh, whenever possible. So if you have a client who's in these stages and is coming to speech therapy, you might notice some attitudes that come along with those pre-contemplation and (laughs) contemplation stages because that's only natural so you know your client is the most important part of the intervention equation so if they're negative resentful and don't want to come and don't have the brain space for it or don't see the value and if this is something you know you can do in your setting give them some options for example this is something we could say this is why i recommend speech therapy here are some reasons why It's up to you to come when you can take advantage of these services. I can't work unless you do. In order to be successful, you'll have to do a majority of the heavy lifting here in speech therapy. So I can guide you when we do, and I can help you zero in on what will make the most difference. But you need to regularly come, and you need to do the work. And then you could ask your client, is that something you can commit to? And if they say no, if they're not ready, you can give them options and ask them to let you know when they're ready. So for the record, I'm absolutely not saying to give up on these clients. Not at all. I'm just saying that I think our tendency as SLPs is to kind of push people into service before they're ready. And, you know, that really sometimes helps no one at all. It doesn't help our clients and it doesn't help us as SLPs. So if we really want to provide patient-centered care, we respect the wishes of our patients, even when that's not the call we would make. And it goes against our recommendation. Mm -hmm. So we also give our clients the space and time they need to decide if they're ready for us. So 
I'm arguing that the most compassionate option to care for our clients is to identify clients who are in the contemplation or pre-contemplation stage and even the preparation stage and say, hey, this is what I have to offer. Are you ready to commit to this? And if the answer is no, respecting that and being available if they do change their mind. So why is this a self-care challenge? Because it'll make your work life way less stressful and more productive. And we all need more of that. And you'll be spending your time where it's the most effective. And that's it for this episode of SLP Happy Hour. We hope you enjoyed this show. If you're a newer SLP or an SLP student, we hope this episode gave you a good snapshot of what it's really like to be an SLP. Wherever you are in your SLP journey, we hope you feel more connected and empowered by listening today and that you learned something along the way. Let's figure this out together. By sharing our experiences and perspectives, we can become more connected to each other and more forgiving of ourselves. Let's navigate through these thorny issues together. As we do, remember you already know what you need to know to be an awesome SLP, and you already care as much as you need to care to be an awesome, caring SLP. You can do this, you've got this, and we're here rooting for you. We hope you enjoyed the show as we talked about varying levels of client readiness and what they mean to you. We hope you choose to accept our self-care challenge of identifying where your clients are in the readiness stages so you can use that to make your work life easier and your bonus challenge of identifying clients in those early stages and having a very honest and caring conversation with them about the readiness level. If you liked the show, You can support us in several ways, and each episode, we've been highlighting one way that we'd like your support. This episode, it's leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If an SLP is searching for a good podcast, we want them to know how to find us. Please leave us a rating and review and describe why you listen to the show so others looking for something like this podcast can find us. If you want to connect with us, You can visit our website, slphappyhour.com, or find us on Instagram as slphappyhour. We hope you enjoyed the show and that this was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. We've enjoyed recording it. Thank you for listening. Until next time. time here we go okay okay let me take a deep breath and we'll shake it out and jokes so sorry my mom emailed me some jokes do you want to hear them yes i do okay they're called church ladies with typewriters so it's like headlines that are funny that came from church bulletins apparently so i'm trying to find my favorite ones (laughs) I like this one. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early to listen to our choir practice. (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) All right. And on the choir theme, eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of the older ones. (laughs) (laughs)